This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview, which, by the way, has an extra segment, three hours. And you can also listen to all of our material, be part of the Magical Forum, Veritas TV, and everything else we have to offer. Like the Veritas page on Facebook and visit it frequently. It is updated daily with news you won't get in the mainstream. Do get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight, we have a three-hour show for you. There is so much discussed that it was very difficult to even assign a title to it. We were caught off a few times, and I even had to hide a few of those, but left a couple just for illustration purposes that the material that will be discussed is important. It all started when I watched an episode of UFO Hunters years ago. One of the participants of that episode had what he deemed was an implant, and Dr. Roger Lear surgically removed it. Years later, I noticed how that episode left many important aspects of that story out. Instead of a, an alien implant, it could have been placed there by our intelligence apparatus. The show producers cleverly left that out, and tonight we discuss how the mainstream media purposefully confuses and disinforms to pursue their own agenda. When you consider that in 1983, 50 companies owned 90% of the media, and by 2011, six companies owned the same 90%, you may come to the conclusion that this consolidation has a purpose. And tonight's special guest, Jeff Harvey, will discuss this. Ways to improve your health and to be more vigilant about what is put in our food, water, and minds. This, and much more, for the next three hours, right now, on Veritas. Jeff Harvey 
is a technologist and healing arts practitioner working with emerging technologies in the healing field. Jeff specializes in chronic disease reversal and accelerated deep tissue wound healing. Jeff is a board-certified quorum nutrition consultant. He spent six years in the United States Navy Electronics Unit assigned to the USS John F. Kennedy CV-67 Intelligence Center and worked four years in industrial infrared moisture detection and sampling to six decimal places. Jeff has actively worked 10 plus years in health research. He is highly trained in low frequency sound therapy and works closely with various naturopathic physicians and medical doctors to provide integrative support. Jeff completed continued education classes from the American Naturopathic Medical Association and is highly sought out to speak on national and international radio shows about healing and detoxification. He has been interviewed by Coast to Coast AM and many others. His YouTube videos and interviews are available to all. And to learn more about Jeff Harvey and his work, visit his website at jefftech.net. That's J-E-F-T-E-C-H dot net, which is also linked to our website. And directly from somewhere in Pennsylvania, I'm glad to have Jeff Harvey here on Veritas for the first time. Hello, Jeff, and welcome. How are you? Hello, Mel. It's my pleasure to be with you. Great to have you on. And Jeff and I have been corresponding for the past few weeks Jeff, just so that the audience knows, it was a few weeks ago, someone referred me to a video of an interview conducted by our mutual friend and colleague, John Kelly, over in Canada. And before that, I was recommended to watch an episode of the, I'm not sure that this is still in the air, on the air on TV, UFO Hunters, but it dealt with your uh, alleged implants and how they were removed, and we'll dive into this after. But this is what prompted me to get in touch with you because some of the things you discussed during that interview were fascinating, some are worrisome, and I would like our audience to learn more. But tell us tell us more about you, uh, your childhood, your background, because this is honestly really fascinating. Well, this is an interesting ride because in the last week, I using very specific high-tech devices like the Shiva neurostimulation system and radionics devices like the RAD5, I uncovered one more deep hidden memory from childhood. And I'll go over that in a moment with you. Uh, but basically, I grew up very young um, with a lot of anomalous experiences like most children do. They see uh, images in their room at night, dark shapes, uh, entities, and things of that nature. And usually, like I did, um, I was scared to death, so I just pulled the covers up over my head and hid down there. But what happened was, is that there is a really deep-seated memory that just came out recently after using the hippocampus signal for memory research on the angular gyrus. And I got some very interesting effects from it in that I actually uncovered in session a technique I developed when I was a very, very small child um, when different types of entities attempt to contact you, you will find that just on the edge of dream state, when you're in theta on the upper level, just before you drop into full sleep, you will get images that come into your mind. And when they come in, most of the time, it's just your imagination and your mind pulling images out of the day's effects and things like that and adding them in just before you drop into dream state where it takes that information and makes up your dream state to teach you lessons and other things. In this case, there was actually an entity attempting to contact me and I realized in this state when I was doing the recent Shiva session about a week ago with the angular gyrus uh, using the hippocampal signal, I noticed my nervous system, as soon as the image came in, it instantly shut the image off and it blocked the entire thing. And I was like, well, that's odd. And then I realized that I remembered doing that as a small boy. And I haven't remembered that since I was a small boy. I lost a lot of memories over the years. And so I actually remembered developing it right there. And I remember using my mind and my nervous system to develop that reaction to shock my system enough 
to cancel any incoming communication. And when you learn about remote influencing, you'll realize that that's one of the first stages is an initial contact. Sometimes an image is transmitted to you. And then when you respond to it favorably, then full contact can be initiated and it can work with the conscious or the subconscious. So that was kind of staggering. So I realized that at a very early age, I was getting contacts that I didn't know and I didn't want because obviously I didn't know, I didn't have a frame of reference uh, for what it could be. So I was very scared. And I grew up in a small town in uh, eastern Pennsylvania with a population of 500 people. Very small town, very, very countryish. So it wasn't like there was a lot of advanced knowledge anywhere where I lived. So after that, my dad, um, shortly after that, had taught me a couple of hermetic exercises for controlling the mind and the body. And that evidently stimulated all kinds of new experiences. I got to the point where in a dream state, I could invite somebody in to play a softball game in my dream. And then the next day, I would go see that person. And I would talk to them about the game we had played in my dream state, similar to what you notice in the movie Inception, except a little bit different. But you can actually cross dream states with people and have mutual dreams. And so that was something that occurred. Then later on in high school, I learned that I had a whole group of other things that I could do, um, like influencing the mind of another person across the table from me. So when I learned this, um, was not long after that, that I realized I was going to be an operative. Um, I didn't know where, I didn't know how, and I'm not going to go into how I knew I was going to be. But basically what happened was when I got to my high school year, uh, my 12th grade, I made sure that there was no photo of me in the high school yearbook, um, knowing what I was going to be doing, because I didn't know what my assignments would be. So when I went into the Navy and enlisted, um, they quickly found out that I didn't have much respect for authority, and I was willing to go toe-to-toe with the best, and I did. I went up against a drill sergeant, um, tried to make me do 20 more push-ups after the first 20, and I said, I can handle that, no problem. He said, well, I can do this all day, and I said, great, why don't you get down here and prove it to me, and we'll see which one of us is better. Well, he didn't have a choice. He had to do it, and I whipped him quite handily. So after that, they made me a squad leader because it's either that or throw you in the brig. And after that, I had a situation in graduation in boot camp where I was leading my squad of men past the parade stands with all the senators and folks like that, the admirals, the media. And we did something rather brazen in front of them and it sent shockwaves and gasps all through the uh the group so right after that there was a group of men that contacted me after they found out what i had orchestrated and they realized that i would be good for being an operative in the counterintelligence group that was watching the military and these are a group of people who are in a international militia and basically, they knew that the military had been usurped by the Jesuit New World Order, and they wanted me to keep an eye on what was going on, provide information in case they were planning something really nasty. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't privy to the 9-11 attacks, or I would have certainly leaked that out as they were orchestrated. And so that really got me into the intelligence business in a very strange way because I didn't go through a CIA school where you get really great training. I was thrown in the middle of it. I had to learn body language to a professional level and a little bit of neuro-linguistics programming so that I could actually survive doing what I did because I was assigned to the John F. Kennedy to work in the intelligence center on the briefing system, which briefed all the pilots. It had cameras and microphones and ready rooms, combat information center, the captain's bedroom. Um, I got caught monitoring one time, and um, he came across the 1MC loudspeaker system and said, uh, how come the light's on on the microphone in my bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, clearly I made a mistake here. And I go, oh, I was just doing some testing. I forgot to turn that off. Sorry about that. 
of course, by that time, they kind of figured out something was up. But at any rate, I, uh, I enjoyed what I did in there because I knew that these were some bad people doing some bad things right alongside of some really great people doing some good things. So it was very early I learned that the Jesuit New World Order doesn't just control our government. It controls all the militaries and just about every organization all over the planet. They let's have go. Members. And I mean to interrupt you, Jeff, but let's go in steps because, of course, this is something we've been discussing lately and a lot of other alternative shows don't even touch this. You'll never get it in the mainstream media, and I don't think that even alternative likes to touch this. But you mentioned the Jesuit New World Order. When did you find a connection? Well, I from childhood, um, I grew up in the Catholic faith. I was an altar boy. Yeah, like me. Not of my own volition. My, my mother thought it was a great idea. But when I found out that they were basically, I asked, you know, I was in the back in the rectory one time counting the money in the basket from the collection. And I said to the guy, I said, look, I said, what's all this going for? What does this do? And he goes, well, that's for the poor in the community and around the world. And I was like, wow, that's great. This is really good news. So I went out and I started looking around in our town as a young boy would of altar boy age. And I noticed all these very poor widows up on Charles Street. And I was like, wow, they're in rough shape. I hope he's taking care of them. And these are women who were old. Their husbands had died. They could barely buy groceries, let alone medicine. I mean, they just literally were in the most poverty-stricken condition there was. And they were ill, most of them. Well, I came back about another year or two later, and nothing had changed. They got worse. And I was looking, and this guy is getting brand new cars every year. He's putting all kinds of ornate things on the rectory, the church, his home, built a, a, rec a recreation center over there so he could house his vehicles uh, under the guise of it was for the kids up in the top floor to play ping pong. So I realized they weren't putting the money out where they were supposed to. So I knew these were bad people from the get-go. And later on, I found out that the Catholic Church is one of the largest landholders in the world. So it didn't take long to figure that out. And when I was in the military, their footprints were everywhere. And I mean everywhere. See, how it, see I always think of the, the phrase, thou shall not kill. When you think of, of the Pope, for example, he's always talking about peace. But yet, in the background, they're always connected with war. You better believe it. And war is an interesting term, because as you know, it takes two sides to make war, correct? You can have 15 sides, but it takes at least two to create a war. The people who are aggressing and the people who are defending. And sometimes it's a mutual thing, like you have with Palestine and Israel, except Israel was the original aggressor. So there's a lot of these things that go on, and when you realize that what they do, like most of their organizations, they all have philanthropic organizations that they donate money to, um, like Bill and Melinda Gates with their work in vaccinations overseas, which, as we all know, are extraordinarily toxic. And many of these other groups, they will have trust funds and foundations that they actually use for money laundering. And very little of that money actually goes where it's supposed to. So this is very deep. And the way they do it is, is they put out one face, but then behind the scenes, they are orchestrating every single conflict across the globe. And I know, Jeff, that most people who listen to us probably contributes to cancer or heart or you name it. But it was in 1996 or 97 when I moved to Tucson. I was working for a company at the time, and I was sent to audit the MDA, the Muscular Dystrophy Association. And first of all, I noticed that their building was beautiful. It's actually one of the most, at the time, if not the most expensive, one of the most expensive pieces of property in all of the, the city. And when I got in, I spoke to a man, and essentially I told him I need to see the financial statements, and they declined. He declined. And I said, you know, you cannot decline. This is a nonprofit organization, and by law, this information is public. 
Well, he still declined. And then I found out that most of their managers, was were make, they were making probably about $150,000 a year. Yep. And I thought, this does not make sense at all. And as like you, I was an altar boy for over 10 years. I was ordered to go during the Jerry Lewis telethon. And we, we, I don't mean to be digressing from the topic, but I think this will connect it. I think the, it's a good thing that you go into this. Yes, the Jerry Lewis telethon. I was ordered by my school teachers to go out in the sun the entire weekend and collect with a group of people. And I did it with pride because I, I thought it was for a good cause. But when I found out that basically they just turning their wheels and going nowhere because we'll never see a cure. No. I don't think we'll ever see a cure for heart, for cancer, by all these nonprofit organizations. They essentially are using this money for what? I'd like to know, Jeff. Well, I, I not only agree with you, but I know it's a fact. When you look at if they ever reveal their paperwork, which most of them keep two sets of books, because remember, when you're out collecting as a little boy or an adult from people, you're taking in greenbacks most of the time. Very yeah. few are checks, except the bigger donators. All right? The checks are traceable. The green cash is not. So it's like most small business operators, because they don't want to pay taxes on that money, and they certainly don't want it seen. They simply take a portion of that, and they claim that as their revenue coming in, and the rest of that goes into pockets. But in most of these organizations, you'd be lucky if 20% gets where it's supposed to go. The rest of the 80 is in administration, whereas in a real charity, 20 is administration and 80 goes out to where it's supposed to. Um, years ago, I had uh, done a trust and I was helping the poor in the winter in Pennsylvania get through by providing truckloads of wood for their fireplaces so they had something to heat with and bags of food. And these are people who you know, maybe had one arm, one leg. They couldn't work anymore. They couldn't pay their bills. And I'd come to their door somewhere hunched over in three layers of clothing. And you could see the breath coming out of their mouth inside their house because they had no heat. And they went through every winter like this. So basically a real charity, if you're going to donate, my suggestion is, is go to the door with a bag of goodies, whatever you're going to do, and just tell them it comes from a no-name organization and they don't need to know where it comes from, just help them out. Yeah. And that way, you know, 100% went there and your money is well spent. But if you send it out to the MDA, the Cancer Society, um, to, gosh, what is that one? Oh, this is one that was a real interesting one. Uh, the military tried to make us um, donate and so did EDS, Ross Perot's old company, after he sold it to General Motors. They made it mandatory that you had to donate, and they would actually literally take it out of your paycheck until I stopped them, which didn't make me a favorite. Um, I don't recall which one of those it was, but it was one of them. It wasn't Easter Seals. It was uh, a different one. But most of these, they are coerced, and they're nothing but money laundering facilities to fleece the flock for some more cash. Not just get them for their state tax, not just their local tax, not just the sales tax, and not just the federal tax, but they want as much of the money you earn as humanly possible all year long to keep their coffers full. And the bottom line is, is they can't do a cure because most of the companies that are behind these things are pharmaceutical giants who have no vested interest in getting any kind of a cure for anything. And while this is your opinion and my opinion, it's if we could lay all of the books open bare, it would be proved as fact. Absolutely. And I think of the AIDS foundations, I think of United Way, and I could be here all day reciting some of the ones that I would not send a penny. United makes, Way is the one I was talking about, United Way. Yes, I remember our company uh, didn't, uh, we were not obligated, but we were somewhat coerced that we had to send some money there all the time. That was the 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 designated uh, nonprofit organization for our Fortune 500 company at the time to to uh, send money, and I've heard of so many scandals with that com that uh, nonprofit organization. But again, we go back to the Jesuits. I think of uh, President Eisenhower when he gave us uh, the last speech of the military-industrial complex. But I recently found out that he was part 
He was part of the group that made rise to the military-industrial complex. I don't know if he felt sorry in the end and wanted to warn us, but what part did the Jesuits have in that time? Well, if you think about it, and let's let's go way back. Um, since the earliest times, the church, and we're talking about the Vatican um, as an organization, being one of the largest landholders in the world, their goal was to acquire so much of the world's wealth that they controlled it all, and they were the only religion. When they realized that people would not swallow that, they created many, many, many others. And we're talking about the Latter-day Saints. We're talking about the, um, oh gosh, what is it? The Jehovah's Witnesses. Witnesses yeah. And many, many other religions are simply offshoots that were created by Vatican agents through the Jesuit organizations. And, you know, I remember, what was his name? Fritz Springmeier. He, uh, he was a religious zealot, but he did some really good research work on bloodlines of the Illuminati, he called it. And when you look through that and the work of Eric John Phelps about Vatican assassins, and you see the documentation that's there, you can trace their footsteps all the way through history from way, way back. Um, they have been behind almost every government on the planet for the longest time. Uh, they were very closely aligned with Hitler. He was just another one of their creations. Do you think that these offshoots, say Joseph Smith, uh, the Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, and their Watchtower, and so on, do you think they are release valves? In other words, the Vatican knows that not everybody's going to agree with what, what the Vatican has to say, and they understood that others would crop up, and by doing this, they're still collecting? Yep, and, and let's go over the why of this. Let's look at Archer Daniel Midland, uh, excuse me, Archer Daniels Midland. Let's ADM. look at Kellogg's. Um, so you're Kellogg's. People find out you're dealing in genetically modified organisms and they stop buying your cereal. All right. You see this big sweeping movement across the country for organic cereal. So what do you do? You come up with a brand called Cashy, which looks like it's organic, says it's all natural, says there's berries in it and says there's this and that in it. But when you look down deeper, you find out it's just another Kellogg's product. So just like Kellogg's, if you want to get as much of the market as possible, what you do is you create a bunch of shell companies that go out and look like they're competing against you. And so what happens is, is no matter where that person goes to go shopping and no matter what brand they buy, they're still buying from you. They don't know it, um, but they're not. And the same with the Vatican. You're going to pray at the altar of the Vatican, whether you're a Methodist, a Protestant, or any of the other offshoots, because they get created by the provocateurs that go out and are designed to actually make something new happen. And sometimes they use drugs to get certain individuals to have certain visions, and they provide them with a syllabus for how to put all of this together. And these organizations are very widespread, and it's, it's deep into every society. I can think of what's happening lately with Monsanto Protection Act, and we'll discuss that in a minute, but very well said. I think of, of one of the biggest poisons that almost killed me in the early 90s, NutraSweet. And now, of course, they, they caught on to the fact that people know that it's a poison. What do they do? They change their label. They change their name. So anybody out there that sees a Minnesweet out there, that is NutraSweet. Then you have exactly. Splenda. Anywhere where you read the word sucralose, and this is, again, we're mixing a lot of topics here, but they're all interconnected. Uh, Monsanto Protection Act. When the equality debate was taking place a few days ago, behind our backs, President Obama signed the Monsanto Protection Act act into law. What's your opinion of this? Well, it wasn't behind our back. He has done nothing but basically piss on every single campaign promise he ever made. And if he makes a promise to the public, you need to understand that the exact opposite will happen in most cases. Um, when you look at, you know, like all of these things, like you, you pointed out the Splenda information perfectly. I was in line the other day and a woman was buying 
um, something at a coffee shop and she picked up her Splenda and uh, or the Sweet and Low. And I said, you realize, of course, what that does to the brain. And I have the reports in my documentation. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. You'd have to eat pounds of that to have any damage. I've done the research. Right. So I, di I didn't say anything more because when somebody says something like that, you pretty much know that they're just looking for an excuse to do it. And what Barack does is he basically gets his orders. He is a lower level manager. The upper level managers in the middle uh, would be somebody like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, um, perhaps some of the other families like the DuPonts, the Collins, the Lees. Uh, those are mid-level managers. And then you get up much higher and it goes up even further. So he takes his orders and because he's a decent orator, he's very good with neurolinguistics programming. He's very good with oration and he's charismatic and he plays the minority card well. He's very good at it. And many people were hoping that he was going to be the hope for the country, that he'd be some downtrodden fellow who was in a minority and came up and did the right thing for the middle class and the lower class. But when you understand the fact that no one gets into those offices unless they're approved by the folks behind the scenes, then you realize that it doesn't matter whether you elect a Democrat, excuse me, a Democrat or a Republican, either one, you're going to get the same road, the same destination. It'll look a little different because you're going to take a different side street, but you're going to get within two blocks of the same place. So he's one of these puppets that does what he's told and he's not ever going to change. And I don't know of any president that ever did with the exception of one. And I'm talking about all the way from the very first Washington all the way up to the last. Kennedy was the only one who actually attempted to go against the grain. So I don't know how he got in in the first place other than it looked like he was a favorite darling of the Pope until he started going up against the banking interests and the other interests. Once that happened, he signed his own death warrant. Because he was the only Catholic president. Yeah. And they and, and basically, they don't really, when you look at the presidents, they go to religious services as a token or an archetype of someone to present that to the masses that, yes, I'm a deeply driven spiritual person. And it doesn't make any difference at all because they have as little spirituality as a rock. They simply are doing that to keep the masses that do vote for them still. And people who are not voting anymore are getting larger and larger as a group. So they do this just to simply program the masses that they're a good person, basically. But I just can't understand when a president, let's take uh, the, inc the incumbent, when he says as part of his campaign that we are entitled to know what our food contains, the ingredients, uh, anything that comes inside of a bag, and that they need to be labeled. Yet, he does the opposite all the time. Exactly. And it's the same thing you do when you're coming up to that podium and you're there with a group of people running for office. You simply state what you know to be factually, what the people want to hear. Because they're not beholding to us. The vote's been rigged, so they're not worried about somebody not voting for them. That's simply a matter of changing the programming and the Diebold systems. You know, that was proven a long time ago when the people actually had access to the code. So it's interesting when you see people like Mitt Romney investing in, in um, tallying machine software and things of that nature. The Collier brothers were a couple of guys who actually photographed Uh, the League of the Women Voters assisting um, rigging the vote in the polling places. And they made videotapes in a hidden videotape recorder in a bag showing that they were doing it. And they provided copies of the tape to Reagan's administration and to the other side. Neither side wanted to even review the tapes. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you they know it's already rigged. They count on it. And they don't want to see your tapes. They don't want to talk about it. And what they did to those guys is they basically blackballed them everywhere and did their very best to shut them down. Of course. 
Do you think that elections are simply an illusion so that we have a semblance of choice? It's dinner theater for the masses. Once again, one of the reasons why I contacted you was because I, I saw that episode. We'll dive into it now. UFO hunters, Bill Burns and some others, uh, I believe that show is no longer on the air, but you were part of it. When I say part of it, you were, can we say, a guest of that show because you had some implants and they wanted to show the implants and the removal of the implants. Can you can you give us a summary? Sure. Um, this was back, um, oh gosh, I guess the mid-2000 range, somewhere around 04, 05, somewhere in there. I can't remember. Um, but basically, I had, well, I had nearly died in 2003. I had been eating like a warthog all of my life, uh, not taking as good a care of my body as I should. I was exposed to depleted uranium in the Navy and gamma radiation afterwards. So it took a toll on my body, and I nearly died in 2003. So when I got brought back with detox and nutrition and chelation therapy, I started getting a little better and a little better and a little better. And you were up at 200 pounds? Yeah, I was a nice solid 200 pounds. I could lift a man up with each hand, and that was a lot of muscle. Um, but that was a long time ago. And so what happened was um, I got back to a reasonable semblance of health. I started working on some of these um, type of processes like detox and nutrition to try and learn more about it. And I actually became a practitioner. But what happened was is around 2000 and I don't know, 2004, five, somewhere in there, I started noticing a bump on the back of my leg when I was in the shower. And I, and I had lost so much weight, it was now very close to the skin. Um, evidently, it was quite deep for a long time because I had massive thighs from all the work I did. You know, I tried to stay in shape, Taekwondo, martial arts, all kinds of things. So what happened was, is I would feel that bump in the shower and I go, well, that's odd. And I would just forget about it. Well, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter whatever it is. Maybe it's just a, a cyst. So a couple of months later, it popped back up. I'd feel it again. I go, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry. And a couple of years went by with this really coming through my subconscious up to my conscious. And I was like, you know, I got to do something about this. So I'm listening to a radio show one night, and I heard a doctor by the name of Roger Learon talking about removing alien implants and things like that. And something told me to contact them. You know, I didn't think for a moment that uh, – some little gray had decided to slice me open and stuff it in there. But I was interested to see what he might know about it because he might have some ideas. So he said, well, why don't you do some tests? You know, he says, put a magnet on it, see if the thing lifts. So I put a strong magnet on it and it lifted the skin straight up. Um, so it's obviously magnetic. So he got a little excited and sends me this test, a questionnaire, and asked some things about experiences uh, whether or not I was in the military, and of course I was in military intelligence, by that time I had not exposed myself as an operative because there was still some sensitive things going on I didn't want anybody to get in trouble with. So I just told him, you know, I was in military intel. I worked on the Kennedy and the intelligence center on video cameras, not telling him that was my cover. So he got all excited and said I scored really high and that there was a propensity or a probability that I was implanted. And I was like, okay, great. That's nice. You know, I, I still didn't uh, buy it. But he said, uh, we're going to send a film crew out to visit you there. I lived in Honesdale at the time. I had a farm spread. And so he sent out this producer. They filmed my background story. Um, and then they flew me out to California and they did more filming. Um, I brought along with me a fellow who had gone through remote viewing training with me. Um, and this is an ex-captain from the military, um, a really good human being, not one that would pull the crap they're pulling today. And then there was another fellow by the name of Walter Bosley, who was also an interesting counter-espionage guy. Um, but he worked for the establishment group. Um, but he did it with a good heart and thinking he was doing the right thing and he was doing everything that was good. And he has a boatload of information um, and backstories you can't imagine. 
um, and I trust him. So he was the bodyguard for me when I went out for the filming. And I said, look, they're going to put me under regression. Um, if they start playing games with my head, because I didn't trust them in the first place, because as we all know, television is programming. And the old saying in the intelligence community goes, they don't call it programming for nothing. <laughs> I heard that back in the 70s, and boy, they were certainly right. So we went out and we got the operation done. And, you know, I had great conversations with everybody, and they seemed pretty good. But when the show actually aired, they sent me the CD of it. No one in the team would allow me to get a copy of my hypnotic regression, which I thought was really odd. Um, now, I remember most, if not all of it, but I started not trusting them when they wouldn't give me a copy of the recording from the regression. Why not? So they wouldn't say why not. And they said they were under no obligation to do it. So I got all the production company and they said they wouldn't do it. Even the therapist that did the regression, Yvonne, Yvonne Smith. Um, yeah, she didn't get any data back from him either. And Yvonne, she wasn't capable of doing that depth of a regression. She's good for the surface stuff, but to get down where I was, you would need drugs to be able to defeat the blocks that I put in when I was younger. And I put in some solid ones. I've had top psychics try to break them. I've had top remote viewers try to break them, and they can't get through. And it's because I installed them at an unbelievably early age. Um, from that memory, I was doing this stuff back when I was five and six and seven years old. So it's interesting how much goes way back. And so I started not trusting what was going on when I got the CD and I viewed it. I went, oh, my God. They absolutely made it appear as though I thought I was abducted by aliens. When in fact, I was almost positive that military intelligence stuck it in there. So I don't know what the connection is, but somebody was trying remote influencing entity contact on me as a child. I don't know who is behind that. Um, hopefully one day I'll get those answers using some of the neural stimulation systems I use. These things are readily available on my website. So people who have past memories they want to work on, they need to use the hippocampal signal and start experimenting. But I didn't trust them. And when I found out what happened, they basically made it look like I thought I was abducted. And they never talked at all about my military intelligence involvement. So it was pretty clear that somebody intervened on that show. And it must have been the Navy that did it. Um, now, I don't know that for a fact, but that's my opinion. And I don't think with a couple of bulldozers, you could get me off of that opinion. Um, so what was also kind of interesting was that they didn't bring up anything about the years in the military intelligence. Yet, that's what Roger Lear found so interesting about the case. So my thought is, is that they had structured the team of UFO hunters very carefully. Now, I recently listened to a radio episode on, I think it was Scepter or one of those other networks, that uh, they interviewed Bill Burns. And, you know, he's a very well-spoken fellow on the radio. He's pretty good at what he does. But my impression is, is they put that show together very carefully. And my personal opinion is, is when Bill Burns took over UFO magazine, my impression is, he was assigned to take that over to be the gatekeeper for information and to make sure that nothing really big ever came to light. And so I think uh, he's counter intel operative. And I think that whole team for that radio or that TV show is put together carefully. They used Ted Ackworth from MIT, who basically said that the signals that were coming off the implant were spurious. Well, if he had known that I had an electronics background, he would have realized I had tested for that. So that wasn't the case. So I knew better than that. That's, that's a juvenile mistake. The other thing is, is when you put a signal counter next to it, just a basic freak counter, and you push your finger onto where that bump was on the back of the thigh, 
it would stop transmitting. And it transmitted on several bands, one of them a deep space probe frequency. And so when you let your finger back off of it, it would stop. Now you'd say, well, that's just a fluke. Unless, of course, you had done what I had done, and I had tested it at least two dozen times, and it did the same thing every single time. Did they know that you had tested it before you went to the show? Um, it was while I was out there in California, I did the testing with the SIGGEN. But it wasn't until after we discussed this, and I saw the, the basic chop job they did on the editing, when they omitted all the crucial pieces of evidence that any person would see and say, okay, this is clearly a device that was implanted for a reason. And my only thoughts are, if I was in Intel and they didn't like what I was doing, then more than likely, um, somebody basically put me out and stuck it in there. Now, I don't have any memory of going in, so that makes me really a little unhappy because if I can find the person that did it, I'm going to execute my own course of justice. So I think they didn't want any of the data implementing the Navy because anything that would hurt their war movement or their enlistment rates would really be a problem. And if that went on national TV, that could literally impair their ability to recruit to a large extent. And I think that's the reason why it was pulled on the cutting room floor. They said, no problem, we'll put it out there. And not only that, we'll doctor it so it looks like the guy's absolutely off his rocker. But I enjoyed being able to debunk what they did. And I know now that they do this on most of the shows because I started watching the History Channel uh, after that to take a look and see if they were doing it with other shows. And it's absolutely clear. These people put about as much history out there that's factual as somebody who writes Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> well, I think I shared the story with you that I was invited. Well, Cliff High from the webbot was invited, but uh, he asked me to go on his behalf. And when I was driving with the producers and some of the actors, they told me, Mel, by the way, you need to dumb it down, okay? And I said, excuse me, dumb, dumb what down? what you're going to be talking about because you know the level of intellect of our audience is is not there so dumb it down and i thought wait a second i thought the history channel was the last bastion of intellect and they say well take it from here our most popular show is pawn stars and about 80 85 percent of our uh, watch uh, the the audience is is male if it ever changes down sometimes to 78%, the sponsors get furious. So obviously, you know, they have their own agenda at the same time. They took away a lot of the information that I was sharing and made the host of the show repeat it as if it was, if they were, it was his own words. Uh, same thing happens with other shows take for example chasing ufos with james fox he actually came out not even an episode or two after the show started to say that he had no idea that the show was going to be like that in fact he contacted me months before they started filming to let me know confidentially that he was starting that show with national geographic if i had any stories to share with them i gave him silence and he asked me mel do you trust me and i said i do i trust you but I do not trust people behind National Geographic. It's owned by News Corp. You're going to tell me that if somebody has a real story where they have a, a anti-gravitic anti machine or something that could revolutionize this world and could definitely fracture the establishment, do you really think they're going to share that information with us? Absolutely not. No, you, you hit it right on the head, and especially News Corp, because... The Collier brothers that wrote the book Vote Scam, the one where they took the video of the League of Women Voters helping to defraud the vote, uh, <laughs> News Corp was behind all of that. They were, the, they were the group that everybody goes through. So, of course, they're not going to let it out. These are the ones controlling all of that. So once you realize how deep this octopus goes, you realize we need some kind of a game changer. Because all of television, literally almost all, I wouldn't say all yet, but we're talking in the high 90s, is being basically manipulated 
to speak to an eighth grade audience and to also alter the perception of truth and history and what really is the foundations of our country and things like that. So when you look at the way they they moderate all this so that people get one image in grade school, and by the way, the public fool system is nothing but a programming center for children. And I think it was Malcolm X that said, only a fool would allow his enemy to teach his children. And so we need a game changer. And the only thing I was able to come up with, because I've been working in radionics for a while, looking for a way to be able to manipulate um, the counter space, or you might call it the vacuum. And basically, we know that the time dimension is loaded with boatloads of energy. And we pull from it all the time. And I was trying to use radionics to find some way of crushing this march on forward to basically program the population. And, you know, that's just the naive little boy in me hoping that the good guys will win. It's not going to work that way. So I came up with only a couple of things. And one of them was basically um, anybody who has the capacity to do it to do something in reverse of what happened in Cyprus, where they went in and they took 20% of the savings of everybody that had over 100 grand. I say we should go and do a bank run and basically go in and pull every dime you have out of the bank, except for what you need to leave in to pay your rent, your utilities, your food bill, and your fuel. Take everything else out, go buy gold or silver or whatever, and take possession of it. Don't get a shit or a, a document saying you own so much of this. Take possession. Paper is worthless. Even if our, if people are complaining and taking their money out of the banking system because they know that paper worth, is worth nothing, what would you buy paper on behalf of physical uh, metal, precious exactly. metal? Granted, it's heavy. It's a pain in the butt to store and keep hidden. But you know what? If the crap hits the fan... You'll be one of the few people that have anything that's able to be used for food or whatever. So I, when I found out about spirulina and astaxanthin, I started stocking up on that. I buy 20,000 tablets at a time. And so the same thing happens if you're going to pull your money out of the bank. You want to put it into something that's going to feed you in times when maybe a year or two down the road, uh, the food supply gets chopped off, the grid goes down because of a solar flare or whatever, but you can also help to defund these companies that are pulling all this on us. It's the only way we can stop them because no one in power in political office is going to do anything. Only a fool would think so. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, literally adopted a piece of software for companies to use that allowed them to defraud. They knew it had errors in it, and they brought it in. And when one of the guys that found out about it brought it to their attention, he wound up getting fired. So the fix is in at the very highest levels and the lowest levels. So what we need to do is defund them as much as we can, hit them where it hurts. So pull the cash out, do the bank run. Not everybody's going to do it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But we'll hit them enough that it will actually defund a lot of what they do. Then if we do a boycott on every single company that uses Monsanto products or genetically mined foods or doesn't support labeling of GMOs like Kraft, um, like uh, Kellogg's, Archer Daniel Midland, uh, most of the brands you see in the stores these days, you know, if we go and boycott those, we literally hit their P&Ls with a sledgehammer, and that can have a beautiful impact. And then on top of that, if we simply use our social circles to shun those people that work at those organizations and companies, they sooner or later at the lower levels will get the impression that their only friends they're going to have are in the company that pays their paycheck, and they're not going to have friends outside. And if their family members mean that much to them, they might actually do something about it. You think, I think, I think it's more doable, the latter part. The, the first part of taking the money out, I know a lot of people would probably not do it. The majority of the people are, they don't even understand 
what the Federal Reserve really is. It's not federal, it's not government-owned, and it has no reserves. But most people, you tell them the real story, and they, they still think you're a conspiracy theorist. But when it comes to what you said, take a look. It would be so easy to to compile a list of all the companies that have GM uh, GMO. And, of course, a lot of them hide behind these conglomerates, Procter & Gamble, uh, you know, all these Monsantos of the world and so on. But compile all the, the list of all the companies and all you need to do is stop buying from them. Use your social networking. I know this is a data mining operation, Facebook, Google, etc. But let's use it to our advantage. Let's start exactly passing right. that, that information out. And when it comes to the media, Jeff, you probably know this. In 1983, 50 companies owned 90% of of the media and by 2011 six companies owned 90 percent of the media isn't this essentially a ministry of propaganda basically and and you can see this sort of consolidation in every industry today they are literally trying to bring it down to a few companies and what they want is and here's the reason for it you've heard of the hegelian dialectic correct of course all right give them two sides to choose from just like in our elections, you only get two sides. And the reason it's such a strong match for people to have only two choices, not three or five, is because we have two hemispheres to our brain. And so we easily adapt to anything with two choices. So just like the Kellogg's and Kashi, if you have two choices and it's my company, I get paid no matter what you choose. So I honestly don't care what you choose. So it's the same thing that's going on in this sort of thing. And we can make the difference by extracting as much money from them as we can. And that's one of the reasons why if we can get a certain amount out, we can hurt them a little. If we can get others to do it, we'll hurt them a lot. And if we can get a database of these companies and their shell companies and post it, make it go viral then we literally will be able to influence many, many millions and hurt them dramatically in the pocketbook. They will find ways around it, evidently, uh, or eventually. However, I think it'll be quite some time before they can get past that. Um, the web is probably the most dangerous thing for them. And I, like you, prefer to use social networking and let it go viral. Um, they're trying to do things with Facebook now to stop you from doing so much viral work. Um, the way they structured your timeline, so really, really nasty posts about them or what they're doing fall to the bottom when you get new posts in. They're even putting in posts of their own on your Facebook pages and just calling an upcoming event something of interest, but they won't allow you to stop them from coming in. So things that are not quite so nice keep dropping to the bottom. And so you need to go in and clean those out every time you can. But if we go viral with all of this, what will happen is, is we will dent their pocketbooks enough that we'll actually make some headway. And it's the only game changer I can think of. And by the way, folks, if you go to your local grocery store and are going for organic, unless the label says 100% organic, just by having that word organic does not mean that you're not buying genetically modified food. So just keep that in mind. Correct. 100% is the only gold standard there is. And, and here's the problem. The FDA regulates the word organic anyway. So even if you don't use pesticides and uh, nasty fertilizers or, or organic or GMO foods to feed your animals, okay, um, the fields that you get your hay and straw from maybe load it with all kinds of pesticides and GMOs in it, and then that gets fed as grain to the animals that you don't even know about. And then they use the manure for that in the organic fields to fertilize the crops, and you're still getting dosed with uh, pesticides and other goodies. They even had a, a post I saw recently where in pear and apple trees and things like that, fruit trees, they're using antibiotics on organic fruit trees in orchards legally because it's a loophole in the organic law. They're allowed to use antibiotics on the tree to prevent types of uh, disease, but yet 
if they would make the tree strong enough with the right nutrients, it wouldn't succumb to the diseases. And they don't tell you about it. No. So you're getting your antibiotic load right there in your uh, fruits and vegetables. And this is something somebody sent me a few days ago. Let me just read quickly. Most high-level FDA employees have a background in either medicine or law, but one of the largest private sector sources is, guess what, folks? The Monsanto Company. Over the past decade, at least seven high-ranking employees in the FDA have an employment history with the Monsanto Company. And, of course, we've heard of Michael, the current deputy commissioner of the Office of Foods. He was also the vice president of public policy for Monsanto. Unless people really revolt about this, Jeff, and demand that this conflict of interest ends we're never going to see an impartial, neutral entity within the government that really looks after the public. Here's a way to make some of that come to fruition. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview with Jeff Harvey. To listen to segment two and three of this three-hour interview, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Also, to learn more about Jeff Harvey, his work and products, visit his website, at jefftech.net. That's J-E-F-T-E-C-H dot net. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more important information in segment two and three in the member section. Enjoy.
this is Dr. Raunilena Lukanen-Kilde, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.